You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. If you've been with us, we're, we're now a few weeks into our summer teaching series through the book of Proverbs, and we're kind of touching on various topics that are relevant for our day-to-day lives. We're seeking the wisdom of God, seeking wisdom, seeking insight, uh, to walk in faith as we navigate through this life. And so why don't we turn to our text this morning and dive into the word together. It comes to us from Proverbs chapter 1, just one verse, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. So fear of the Lord, fear. Fear is a funny thing. It's often seen as a weakness, a vulnerability. To have no fear, to be fearless, is synonymous with, you know, kicking butts and taking names. It's the mighty warrior, brave soldier. It's jumping into action with no regard for personal safety. Perhaps this is Hollywood's caricaturized version of fearlessness, but nonetheless, it's a virtue right? To have no fear, to be fearless. And even God himself throughout the scriptures tells his people to not fear. And yet here in our text today, we find that the fear, this fear is the beginning of knowledge. So then fear is good or bad, but don't fear. It kind of leaves this sort of seemingly contradictory statements. Um, And in fact, in the Bible, the command to not fear is the most common command throughout all of Scripture. And yet we see here clearly that the fear of the Lord is a commended thing. It's virtuous. In fact, the beginning, the origin point, the core basis of knowledge itself And so how do we make sense of this seeming contradiction? How do we make sense of fearing the Lord? What is the wisdom in all of it? Fools do, in fact, despise wisdom and instruction. And one could say that that is the true definition of a fool, despising wisdom, despising learning, instruction, growing. And so as to hear the word and not to be foolish, let's seek out the wisdom and instruction as we understand fear. And more specifically, how the fear of the Lord ties into our faith. Let me ask you, what are you afraid of? What is your greatest fear? Sometimes people ask that as an icebreaker. It's kind of crazy. It's like this deep and personal question, but what is your greatest fear? Take a second to actually answer that question for yourselves in your mind. Because often when you pose that question to people, you might hear answers like, Ghosts, clowns, bugs, scorpions, snakes, javelinas. We hate javelinas because they roam around our apartment complex and they don't, we don't want the, our dogs to get into them. Um, or maybe it gets more visceral. Maybe it gets more physical, more real. Heights, claustrophobia, drowning, maybe fear of flying. Or maybe it gets even more real and dark, like public speaking, socializing with strangers, 
financial insecurity or the fear of not being good enough, or the fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of disappointing someone, fear of uncertainty or change, loneliness, loss of your personal freedom, loss of your constitutional rights, loss of loved ones, so on and so forth. Everyone feel good? I hope that was exhaustive enough to hit on at least one of your fears. We have so many things to fear all around us. We just seek it out. We find it. Our hearts find it. Some are tremendously silly based on the probability that it would actually affect our lives, like a shark, for for example, in the middle of a desert. But others are very real, like a fear of loneliness or financial insecurity. These are real things that affect our day-to-day lives. We all carry many fears with us, some that we're keenly aware of, that we say during those icebreaker questions and look out for, keep ourselves away from, guarded, and others that are so deep within us that we don't realize how it affects us and how it affects our thoughts, our emotions, and ultimately our souls. We carry these with us daily. And what our text today is confronting us with is to perform this sort of self-psychoanalysis to evaluate the things that we fear. Because fear itself is the starting point. Fear is the starting point. The starting point for what, you may ask. Well, the obvious answer here is found in our text. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the starting point of knowledge, of understanding. But let's unpack that a little more. What does that mean? When we fear something, we fear it because we know, or at least we think we know, the consequences of that fear when it becomes a reality. Everything we fear, we do so because we've seen heard or imagined a version of reality where that fear has come true. We might fear death because we've experienced the death of others in our lives. We might fear sharks in open waters because of the movie Jaws. We might fear chaos and conflict because we've lived through chaos and conflict, such as 9-11 or something like that. We've experienced a traumatic attack. We might fear the loss of our freedoms because we've seen this pattern play out throughout the course of human history. Insert your fear here, and if you dig deep enough, you can get to the source of your fear as some version of reality where you know something could be or is true. So our fears actually have a lot to do with our knowledge of truth, our understanding. In the Proverbs, this godly wisdom starts there. In fact, this is a core theme that runs throughout the whole book. And our verse today is sort of a template for the rest of Proverbs. It's this juxtaposition of those that fear the Lord and those that do not. It's the way of the wise versus the way of the foolish. This juxtaposition is a vein that runs throughout Proverbs And even more, we see that the fear of the Lord, that specific fear of the Lord, 
is associated to one who is wise, humble, steadfast, faithful, and confident. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the starting point of knowledge itself, our understanding itself. Now I want to unpack that just a little bit more. When the scripture here says knowledge, it's not telling us that when we begin to fear the Lord that we will know all that is there to know. It's not talking about knowledge in this vague, abstract, all-encompassing sense. It's not talking about knowledge like you're just going to be an open Wikipedia page. And I know this is definitely true because we fear the Lord here, some people, and there's definitely a lot that I don't know. There's definitely a lot that we don't know. But this knowledge in this biblical sense that the Proverbs is talking about is much more intimate. It's much more intentional. This knowledge has to do with knowing God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge because to know God, to know who he is and what he has done and all that he has promised, to know these things, to know God is to be deeply aware of all that he is capable of and give an appropriate response to the knowledge of that reality, which is fear. Jesus himself reminds us of this as we see yet another instance of a command to have no fear. Jesus says, have no fear in this text. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, don't be afraid of those who can only hurt your body. Actually, be afraid of the one who can destroy your body and your soul, your entire personhood. Fear is the starting point of the knowledge of God, of knowing God, of knowing itself. Everything we know about him points to a mighty, powerful, terrifying, and absolutely perfectly holy God. He demands perfect holiness, and everything falls short, is destroyed. It's a story that we see time and time again throughout the scriptures. It's what some people might call the Old Testament God. It's the scary, vengeful God, as some would describe him. It's the God that wipes out the earth with a flood to cleanse, of it, to cleanse it of its holy unholiness. It's the God that destroys a whole entire city because there was not even 10 good people in the city. It's the God that deals with sin in such an absolute manner. We see that and we kind of take a step back. And our first response ought to be, as the people were in those times, fear as sinners in the presence of a holy God. It's absolutely terrifying. Fear communicates that we understand the reality of his power, the reality of his glory, and his majesty, what he is capable of. Fear communicates that we recognize our own unholiness and how far it falls short of his perfect holiness. And it's this kind of fear that ought to be stronger than any other fear that we could possibly have. It's a response of fear that's demonstrated by the prophet Isaiah in his encounter with the holiness of God. He says, Woe is me, coming face to face with God's holiness. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. 
I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. To know God is much more than a Bible study or attending church to hear a sermon weekly. To know God is to give a wholehearted response to what we know to be true about him and to grow in our fear of him. If we think about the fears that we have in our lives, the other sort of fears that we've conjured up, we don't deal well with fears in our lives. Often we keep that thing that we fear at a manageable distance at best. But when we come to know God and appropriately fear God, he draws us in closer into relationship with him. It's unlike other fears. As we come to know God, he shows us that he knows infinitely more. And this fear of him leads us into relationship with him. Fear leads us into relationship. It's a bit jarring to think that fear is what leads us into relationship. And I hesitated and contemplated and thought on this point a little bit. But I think it's true, even with our earthly fears, even with the things that we fear all the time, we develop this sort of relationship with how we deal with the thing that we fear. Fear oftentimes leads us into an unhealthy relationship, but a relationship nonetheless. This unhealthy relationship involves keeping a distance, like we said, with something or someone, and perhaps even grow in anger and hatred towards that object of fear. But I would say that that type of unhealthy relationship with our fears is due to the fact that both sides of that relationship are touched by the brokenness of sin, the effects of sin. It's both tainted. Two wrongs do not make a right. And two broken things in relation to one another continue to produce further brokenness. And that's the difference with our fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord leads to a distinctly healing relationship because we're coming to know the only being in the universe that can actually mend not just our body, but our soul. To fear the Lord is to know the Lord and to know the Lord is not only to know a righteous and holy and vengeful and just God, but a loving God who desires to dwell with us, with his people, and us with him. This desire for relationship causes God to act, to make a disobedient and unholy and fearful people into an obedient and holy people. As we mentioned Isaiah's encounter with the Lord, he says, woe is me. This outcry of his woes is met, if you remember in that story, with God taking action to purify Isaiah's unclean lips, to make him fit to serve as a prophet. God jumps into action. We see in Exodus, after God has brought his people out of slavery from Egypt, he gives them the Ten Commandments and all the laws to live as his people, how everything should be set up, how, what you should wear, how you should treat people. As he lays out how the tabernacle is to be set up, 
and what the priests are to do, he says this, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I, may, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God's plan from the beginning has always been and continues to be for his people to know him as their Lord, their God, and that he would dwell with his people, dwell among his people as their God. God initiates with us and pursues this relationship despite the fact that we constantly choose to fear lesser things. We constantly look at other things and develop this unhealthy relationship with things around us and people around us rather than a healing, restorative relationship with our creator, our savior, and the Lord of all creation. The fear of the Lord leads us to know him and to be in relationship with him. And this relationship is defined not by fear, even though the fear is a starting point. Instead, God moves us, takes us from fear. We start there and he moves us to faith. God moves us from fear to faith. As we mentioned earlier, when studying the fear of the Lord, it can't be ignored that it's a command that, um, the command to not fear is actually the most common command throughout all of scripture. But as we've dug into this relationship that blossoms from the fear of the Lord, I hope I make it abundantly clear that these two things Fear of the Lord and the command to not fear, they're not in opposition to one another. In fact, they're one and the same command in principle. It's a call to properly orient our fears towards God, who is the only one worthy of our fear. It's a call to properly orient, properly direct our fears to the only one that is that is deserving, worthy of that fear. As your fear becomes correctly aimed towards God, your fear and all other things begin to diminish and eventually disappear. You begin to grow in trust of the greatness and the glory of God. This is faith. If you're here with us throughout our Hebrew series before, I'm sure you may remember this. One of the most memorable takeaways from the whole series for me was the definition of faith. Faith is believing in what we do know to be true about God and trusting in him for all that we don't know. Faith is believing in what we do know to be true about God and trusting in him for all that we don't. When we begin to grow in our fear of the Lord, it diminishes all other fears. What is there really to fear in light of an all-knowing, all-perfect, all-powerful God? What is there to fear when we know him to be sovereign over all things? He has always been in control of every fine detail of every moment in history and continues to be in order to fulfill his plan for redemption, for restoration for his people. What is there to fear when God himself has taken on human flesh to, through Jesus in order to take on our punishment 
in our, in our place for sin. What more is there to fear when death itself has been defeated already through the resurrection of Jesus? What is there to fear when the God who has accomplished all of this and more gives us the certainty of his promise that he will return to establish his kingdom once and for all. There will be a definitive end, an expiration date to all sin, to all suffering, to all pain, all chaos, and all death. There is an end. So what more is there to fear, church? No, in all these things, Apostle Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am certain that even as we go forth from here, that we'll continue to carry many fears, other, other lesser fears with us. Fear continues to rule the hearts of Christians and non-Christians alike. Our country, our, our, our broken world, there's fear everywhere. We exist in an increasingly godless world where we can't help but see and fear the world's growing hostility towards Christians, towards the church. But be reminded and fear not, church. God is still good. God is still sovereign. These things are true about God. Jesus has already paid the penalty for sin and he died the death that we could not die and he rose again from the grave so that we might know him and we might respond in faith. Do not fear the tides of brokenness and evil in this world. To fear is to build this relationship with what we fear and to put faith in the thing that we fear. We have no need to fear the loss of personal freedom and choice. True freedom, true freedom is found in Jesus alone. We have no need to fear in whichever way our worldly leaders may move because we have a perfect kingdom secured for us already by King Jesus. We have no need to fear anything or anyone other than God himself. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is good. He is just. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let us flee from foolishness and let us desire God's wisdom and instruction. Let us grow in our fear of the Lord over all other fears, which are many, that we would know God more intimately as he has known us, and then we'll come to see our fear of him, turn into faith in him, and grow in that faith. I'll close this by reading a few other Proverbs that mention the fear of the Lord, kind of in line with what we've talked about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, 
that one may turn away from the snares of death. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Church, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day.